Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Uh, today we're starting Psalm chapter 1. Um, just as an FYI, with each psalm, we'll be giving a small introduction to the psalm. Um, and let's dive right in. Psalm 1 is a great way to start the book of Psalms. Some have deemed it the true intent of the whole book of Psalms, and the choosing of paths, the righteous or the wicked path. The psalm then goes into rewards for each path. This is classified as a wisdom psalm. The righteous and wicked are determined by the law of God and his covenant with humanity. This encouragement is to all people to choose the blessedness of the godly and not the condemnation of the wicked. Psalm 1-1 How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. The book of Psalms starts with a blessing to the person. This is an encouragement for all to follow after God. This blessing is a gift. It is not deserved. The man is blessed by not walking in the ways of the wicked, sinners, or scoffers. He uses three words for wicked or foolish, which make his warning even more intense to the reader. The godly or blessed person avoids the manner of life of the wicked. The author also mentions the ways we use our bodies, walking, standing, sitting. There is to be an intentional avoidance of the evil and their ways of living for the godly. Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Instead of the wicked path, the righteous is to be in love with God and his word. The righteous enjoy the word of God. It is their delight, their joy, their source of enjoyment and happiness. They love it so much that they meditate or dwell on his words day and night. Our greatest influence in life should be the Word of God. The wicked can easily influence us, but if we are firm in the Word of God, it will have no effect on us. Verse 3. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. All who are righteous and delight in the word of God are like trees, solidly planted near a stream of water. In other words, they never need to seek a source of food, because it is readily and easily available to them at all times. The word of God becomes their source of life. This source of food and life causes the tree, in other words, the righteous man, to produce good fruit at the right times. He reacts correctly to situations with God-centered action. He never withers. He is faithful. If we are saved, we will never wither and die because we have eternal life in Christ Jesus. Since the righteous man's delight is in God's word, all he does prospers. All he does is focused on God and his glory. Verse 4. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. The wicked are the opposite of the righteous. They live by their passions. They make their own decisions, so to speak, and live only for themselves. They are like the worthless part of a grain head that is taken away by the wind, while the harvesters are preparing the good part of the grain. Verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Since they are like the chaff, they will not be able to stand before judgment. They do not have salvation or any firm root in the truth. The wicked, those without a relationship with God, will be judged. 
They will not stand in the assembly or the company of the righteous, because the righteous and the wicked will be divided and eternally separated from each other. Verse 6. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. God knows the righteous and the wicked. The righteous have a future in the kingdom of God, while the wicked will have no future except exile from the kingdom of God and eternal punishment. Now, why is this important? It's extremely important. There are only two options in this world. To not choose or delay your choice is to cast your lot with the wicked. There is life, freedom, and righteousness by following God, or death, bondage, slavery, and wickedness by following anything else. Which path will you choose? Psalm 2. We have 12 verses in this psalm. And as the previous psalm, this psalm has no title. So we do not know who wrote this one either. There seems to be an indication in Acts 4.25 that the author was David. It gives us a picture of Jesus and is quoted various times in the New Testament. In the ancient times, it was used by the Davidic kings. The psalm is classified as a royal psalm because it celebrates a coronation despite other rebellious nations. The psalm can be seen as a further introduction to the book of Psalms where the coming messianic king would come and deal with evil, all who are called to take refuge in him. This psalm begins with the evil of the nations but ends with the blessing of the Lord on those who rely on him. Verses 1-3 through three. Why are the nations in an uproar, and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart, and cast away their cords from us. The psalmist asks why the nations desired to overthrow the Lord. It was a vain act, and an empty attempt. He asks why they were trying to go against the anointed one of God. In this time, that would have been the earthly Davidic king. We can easily see this tie to the true king, Jesus. The phrase, his anointed, is actually literally translated to Messiah, or the Christ. Every king anointed by a prophet was an anointed one. Yet God himself came to be the true Messiah for his chosen people. Many wage war against the true king. Yet one day they will fail. It is a vain effort to go against the God of the universe. Wicked nations desire their own will. They want their own rule without a righteous God. The author shows them as trying to break their bondage, so to speak, to God. Verses 4 to 6. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Seeing their plans, God laughs to himself, knowing they have no power against him. God knows all, and he is enthroned in heaven. God, with just a spoken word in anger, would terrify them. He would place a king on the throne in Jerusalem, no matter what opposition would be attempted. David was placed on the throne, and he ruled over Israel, but that was not the end. Jesus is coming again to rule from Jerusalem as well. He is the true king who will rule forever. No one can stop his upcoming rule. This is an immense encouragement to those that follow him. Verse 7. 
I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. We see another verse that has a double meaning. God promised he would be a father to the then King David. It was a way to show the legitimacy or the legal right of David's rule. He was placed there by God himself. The second meaning refers to Christ. This same verse is quoted in Acts 13, 32-33 to denote Jesus' right to rule and his act of resurrection. It is also used in Hebrews 1, 5 and 5, 5 to show God Jesus' greatness over angels and over the priesthood. Jesus is the Son mentioned. He is the true ruler of all the universe, and having God as his Father further gives him the right to rule. Verses 8 and 9. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. These verses probably have directly to do with Jesus, the Messiah. The reason we say this is that while David did have some victories in Israel, in the sense that some nations were subdued, Israel was not an enormous empire. Neither David nor any of his successors ruled all with a rod of iron. Jesus, on the other hand, will be the perfect king. The entire world will be under his rule. None will escape his grasp. He will rule with a rod of iron, meaning he will rule with justice, truth, and severity against rebellion. This time Jesus is not coming as a humble servant, but as a conquering king. All those that oppose him will be shattered like earthenware, like pottery. This language is probably borrowed from an Egyptian custom. A pharaoh would smash pots that were used to represent enemy nations to give the imagery of Egypt taking them over. This is mentioned again in Revelation 2.27. Jesus will come, and his rule will be complete and everlasting. Verses 10 and 11. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. With all that in mind, the psalmist calls all the kings to be wise. He warns the judges because this ruler was something to be careful about. They are called to worship the Lord with reverence and trembling. They are called to humble themselves and be in submission to God. They are called to be wise. God will place all under his rule. Verse 12. Do homage to the Son, that he not become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him! The psalmist pleads with his audience to pay homage to the king chosen by God. Homage was probably kissing the feet of the king to show submission. If they did not, God would kindle his wrath against the rebellious and wipe them away. Yet those who take shelter under God, submit willingly, and love their true king are blessed. Only those that are against the king need to fear him. What a, bl a brilliant blessing to already be under the shelter of the true king. Do you know of others that need this shelter? If so, call out to them. Bring them in. Tell them the good news that one day a true ruler will come and rule perfectly forever. They only need to choose his kingdom. This is a wonderful promise that God will intervene in his time and make all things right. Notice that as with Psalm 1, there are two options. Submit to King Jesus 
or face his anger and wrath. We must choose. Psalm chapter 3, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. The title of the psalm gives credit to David. It was written while he fled for his life from his son Absalom, who took over the throne for a time. We see this in Second Sam, Samuel 15 to 18. Despite his life being in danger, David still had confidence that God was in charge and would deliver him. This is a psalm of lament. Verses 1 and 2. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, There is no deliverance for him in God, Selah. The psalm begins with a lament. David's enemies were increasing around him. His son had taken over his throne, and those that did not want David as king took advantage of this. David was forced to leave the palace and run for his life. Those that sought his life were saying he had no hope and that God had abandoned him. Yet note how the psalm started, O Lord. The psalmist still trusts in God. This Lord is God's covenant name, Yahweh, in all caps. David is calling God to remember his covenant in the midst of his trial. It is a deep, intimate call to God for deliverance because he is faithful. Selah has an interesting meaning. It gives a pause in the song. It was to bring emphasis to what was just said. We will see it often in Psalms. Verses 3 through 4. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain, Selah. What a wonderful place for a conjunction. What the enemy was saying was not true. God was with David, and he was David's shield and protector against harm. God was David's glory, or David's subject of praise. God was the one who had honored David before with blessings, dignity, and position. David's comfort in the face of death was due to the character of God. David was confident because he knew God would respond. David cried to God, and God answered him from Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem. Verses 3 to, I'm sorry, 5 to 6 in chapter 3. <laughs> I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. David had fallen asleep, and God kept him alive through the night. He had not died at the hands of his enemies. David literally had thousands of enemies, yet God kept him alive. So many sought his life, yet he slept, displaying his confidence in God. David prayed and rested on God to answer in his time and in his way. Through prayer, he let go of his problems and left them at God's feet. Prayer renewed his confidence in the God who can do all things. Why is this important? A connection of this psalm to real life is not difficult. Life is filled with uncertainties and difficulties. Yet when we depend on God, we can rest in whatever situation knowing he is good, and the end of the story is wonderful for his children. Verses 7 and 8. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Selah. David calls God to save him in his time of need. 
God had saved David before now, and he could do it again. David was confident in God's ability to deliver. God had destroyed his enemies before, and so he could again. The graphic imagery about smashing cheeks and shattering teeth is symbolic of being humiliated, like an animal who loses its strength because his teeth are gone. It is interesting to note that David uses very similar words that his enemies used against him. The enemy had said in verse 2, there is no deliverance for him from God. And David said in verse 7, save or deliver me, O my God. David's conclusion was that salvation from his situation was in God's hands. Only God could save him. David knew, and we should as well, that we can sleep soundly in all situations because God is in control. He is the only source of salvation, and our worry will not help us in any way. Psalm chapter 4 has eight verses. The intro that's included says, For the choir director, on stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Many scholars have said that this psalm is closely connected with Psalm 3, the previous. It seems like they are dealing with this same crisis. Perhaps this was the day after Psalm 3, after David and his men had made it through the night without being killed by Absalom and his men. This psalm is one of lament and confidence in God. Verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. This psalm begins with a cry out to God. This is the God that declared David righteous, not by David's actions, but by God's grace. David is also confident in God's justice. With the same grace, God had removed David's stress and sadness. Verse 2. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception, Selah? By using the phrase sons of men, David shows that they were mere creations before the God of the universe. The Hebrew also indicates that these men were powerful in Israel's society. David asks how long they would turn his glory into shame and use deception for rebellion. If this psalm is connected to Absalom's rebellion, we know that part of the rebellion was trying to bring down the reputation of King David, 2 Samuel 15.3. David's reputation was tarnished. We have heard this happen many times, yet here we find a solution. We do not lash out and bring down another person's reputation. Instead, we should go to God and ask Him to bring justice in His time and in His way. It is hard, but the glory of God is more important than how we were wronged, so we do not repay evil for evil. We pray for God's justice, and then love our enemies. Verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. David was sure that he belonged to God. There was no doubt in his mind. He knew victory would come to him in this life or the next. His confidence was in God and in his discernment. David knew God would do what was best for him and would glorify himself. While David does not say God is going to destroy you all, he does say God hears me when I call him. We can have the same confidence. God can and does hear our prayers. Verses 4 and 5. Tremble and do not sin. 
Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still, Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. David warns his enemies to tremble because God is on his side. He calls them to fear the Lord and not to sin. He is telling his enemies to dwell on the word of God and offer sacrifices to him. He is calling them to trust in God. David is trying to encourage his enemies to do what is best for them. He calls them to leave their sinful plans and align themselves with God. David may have been referring to to when Absalom made sacrifices before the people after he stole the kingdom from his father. This was obviously not done to honor God, but to appease the people. They were empty sacrifices in 2 Samuel 15.12. Verse 6. Many are saying, Who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. If David was with his army, these many are probably his own men. They were probably discouraged at how the kingdom just turned away from David. Despite their depression, David directs them to focus on God. Despite the vast opposition, David's heart and confidence were on God. Verses 7 and 8. You have put gladness in my heart, more than when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. The psalm concludes with complete trust in God. David was glad, even more than when there was plenty in his midst. A more valuable thing had happened. God had shown that he was with David. David could now be at peace with no more anxiety. He would be able to sleep peacefully because he knew God was with him. This was a man who had a whole army after him, yet his confidence was in God. He was not worried about the outcome. Okay, so how do we apply that to our lives? True joy and peace do not depend on our circumstances. Instead, they depend on our relationship with God. They rest on His provision and protection, and our confidence and dependence rely on His mighty works. Psalm chapter 5 For the choir director, for flute accompaniment, a psalm of David. This psalm from David when was when he was exposed to enemies. Some say this could not have been written by David because in verses 7 and 8, he mentions the temple, which was built by his son Solomon, not him. The word used for temple there, hekai, or hekal, is also used for tabernacle. It is interchangeable. We see this in 1 Samuel 1.9, which means it still could have been written by David, referring to the tabernacle or the future temple. The psalm calls the reader to focus on God as the one who is over life's circumstances. This is classified as a psalm of lamentation and of confidence. Verses 1 to 3. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. David calls for help in the morning to God, as opposed to at night, as in Psalm 3. With a new day comes new hope of answered prayer. He claims God as his God and King, the only one he worships and obeys. He cries out for help in prayer, and when he prays, he eagerly waits for an answer from God. 
Can you see David's confidence in God's response? Where is ours? Verses 4 through 6. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. David dwells on some, some on who God is in comparison to those that surround him. There are many men that love evil. They take pleasure in sin. And they even come to the point where they are proud of their sin and boast about it. God is holy. That means he's, he's pure in righteousness. He's perfectly good. There is not one blemish of sin or badness in him. He does not like wickedness. In fact, he hates sin and those that revel in it. Those that boast will not be able to stand before the holy God because they will be judged. The people of murder and lies are detestable to him. Sin is abhorrent to God. It offends him and riles up his hatred. Even lies, which many believe to be a small offense, are hated by God. They are an affront to the truth that God is. Verse 7. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. David knew he was different from the wicked. He had placed his faith on God alone. Because of that faith and God's faithful love, God would allow him to enter his tabernacle. When he arrived, he would bow in reverence and adoration to the great God of all. The wicked are arrogant, but the true worshiper is humble. Verses 8 through 10. O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices, let them fail. In the multitude of their transgressions, thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. David prays for a straight way, a way of wisdom and righteousness. He did not want to be placed in the group that God hated. They were liars and false flatterers. What they said only brought death, an open grave, to those that listened. David gives another plea for God to judge his enemies. He asks God to allow their own traps to ensnare them. For their deception and rebellion, God, David, calls on God to cast them out. Verses 11 to 12. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. And may you shelter them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor, as with a shield. David finishes this psalm speaking of the righteous. They will trust and take refuge in the Lord, and they will be sheltered. They will be filled with joy and gladness. The righteous love God and praise his name for his great works. God blesses the righteous and becomes their shield, their protection against all.